podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. podcast, 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 podcast. Yo, welcome back to another episode of Dysonomics. This is a very important one. We're talking housing, everything in between. I'm joined by, I like to call them Igbo Squared. We got <laughs> we got Leroy and Mr. Mees. What's going on? What's happening? I'm good, man. You, yeah, Leroy's had good, good spirits for a couple wins for Arsenal and you're happy again, yeah? Couple W's beat. Now, you know what? <laughs> that draw hurt me still. Oh, but that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you like that draw well. hurt me, but yeah, you know, Team Arteta, you know? Okay. Oh shit. Okay. Cool. Let me wow. write that. Let me write that down. So that might have to become handy later. Uh, Mies, <laughs> Mies, how you doing? I can't complain, bro. I'm good. Man. So you got that quarantine. I'm surprised you ain't got a trim yet. Nah, bro. I'm, honestly, I'm looking like a ragamuffin, but fuck it. <laughs> I know you low key want dreads. I know. I can tell, bro. If you're one of them, I know you want dreads. You keep on the low though. But no, I got my eyes on you, fam. I've been toying with the idea, but I don't know, man. My head's uh, he's, he's the type of brother to get dressed. 100%. 100%. And if you do, I hope you know we're going to pam you at all to dust. <laughs> all right, cool. So, I'm, I, I asked these guys to jump on the podcast because of their different, different but slightly similar journeys in terms of home ownership. Um, so, both both of you. Um, actually, who goes first? Okay. Um, Leroy, you could go first. Cool. When did home ownership become like an ambition of yours and how long have you been preparing to reach the point that you are now, would you say? Oh, the typical Nigerian. I've been preparing since age five when my, <laughs> when, when my mum forced me to become what I've, like, forced my career options and, <laughs> and just basically said, right, you're going to do this, this, this and that. Now, to be fair, I've always, like, you know when you're young and you're, like, you drive past them big houses and stuff and I've always wanted one of them, like, crazy, crazy houses, so... Home ownership has always been something that's in my mind. But it wasn't until probably after uni. Uni and that, I didn't have a clue about home ownership. I didn't know nothing about it. It wasn't probably until after uni and starting work and stuff that I started to get clued up, started to meet people who talk to you about different stuff, especially older people in the same community. Um, Lucky to meet some really, really knowledgeable people, get some good advice. Um, then started doing my own research and yeah so um, yeah that's that's how it came about really so you would say that's about what how many years is that about so how many years ago yeah I'm, so I'll say about Ooh. that's about eight to ten years you've been uh, eight eight nine years ago eight nine years ago okay cool eight, eight years ago something, yeah. okay cool and what about you um, FA um, same really I guess uh, I've always you know I do art I draw so I've always had a a, a passion and I guess an enjoyment about buildings and architecture so i've always wanted to have a like a grand design so ultimately my my ambition was to have a grand design but you have to build to get to that point but yeah you know i mean so and obviously like the people around me my mum my family generally have done you know own properties so i've always known and been around it um but like leroy um for me it kind of started after uni um when i just started working i'd I think that was when it really started. I'm like, okay, you know what? I need to start or pick a career that's quite solid. Um, and yeah, that's where it really started because I knew that ultimately I need to get to a certain point to get to where I wanted to be. Um, so yeah, around 21, uh, 21, 22 when I graduated. 
Yeah, so that's, that's a, so for you, similar amount of time yeah. as um, Lewis. So I wanted to, I want, I'd ask that, I asked both of you that deliberately. It's because I wanted to show people that you don't have to be in a rush to get a house and don't think it's something that could be done like literally in two days, unless, I don't know, you're involved in certain, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Certain je ne sais quoi. Like, it's, it's, it's a long grind. It's a long grind, especially when it comes to saving to get the type of house that you like. Um, so what are your, what are both of your thoughts on the housing market as of now? I'll go to you, um, Lira, because you're a bit of a crackhead when it comes to this stuff. Like, I <laughs> Yeah, do you know what? No, it's because the reason I've been like popping to you in the market is obviously I've just been luckily tried well just been trying to sell my house and luckily just sold my house congrats so it's, thank you but it's oh this was the most stressful <laughs> process can I swear on you yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I said, this was the most stressful shit going honestly like but really oh, so the market was a little not it was obviously moving but it was ticking over but it was a little bit paralysed by Brexit I felt anyway mm-hmm. so people were holding off to wait on a decision and wait on some certainty to, to figure out what was going in the Brexit direction. So really and truly, obviously you're going to have fluctuations in different areas, but in a lot of areas, the market was kind of stagnant for that, that two-year period. So the prices were not really rocketing up, not really dropping, just literally hovering around the same. Well, that's just my experience, obviously. And then um, after the Brexit decision was made, after Boris Johnson won the election, all of a sudden the market went mad. Mm. so everyone was so that and, and literally that was a time that decided to sell so put the house up 10 viewings literally 10 viewings in about two days all the neighbors were like bloody hell everyone's coming to view a house like <laughs> um and my my whole like plan was to buy this house in an area that was nice which i really liked but it wasn't a long-term goal but it's in an area where I knew was sought after for the, for the local area and that I could add value and then use the added value to then flip and buy the either for, forever home, which was, which was a plan. Mm. So went so well because then as soon as Brexit hit, the market went crazy. We had multiple bids. Everything was coming in. I was thinking, yes, this is perfect. So the market really started to pick up. And when I was speaking to all the different estate agents at the time, um, at the beginning of the year before COVID hit, the market was booming. Everyone was really, everyone was coming out to buy. Everyone was looking to um, to, to move houses and it was good. Mm. And then obviously COVID hit and that has shaken my life in so many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so COVID, the problem is uh, obviously we, we had COVID picking up and went into lockdown and stuff. Everyone started to shit themselves. So the market went went to pot really um obviously we don't know what if that's going to be short term or long term um we had some problems um with my sale um and i still want to punch up the brother who bought the house but that's another (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah it, it, it was a turbulent time because there was a lot of uncertainty and no one really knew what was going on but on the plus side if you're in a position where you've got a healthy deposit and by healthy, I mean a good loan to value rather than the actual amount, um, depending on what kind of property you want to buy, mm-hmm. you are in an absolute golden situation right now. Mm-hmm. Golden situation, because there are bargains to be had. And obviously, like, I'm a nitty for it, because I'll, I'll go right. <laughs> my thing on my evening, yeah, so when I'm going to bed, like, late bed, I'll go on right move and just look. And, I, and I'm just, it's, it's like habitual now, I just look every night on right move in all the areas that I kind of have been watching. 
And yeah, there's real bargains to be had, real, real bargains to be had at the moment. I'm seeing some crazy deals. So yeah, um, that's that's just my thoughts on everything at the moment. What about you? What about you, Mead? Um A similar situation. Uh, I obviously acquired my house about six years ago. Um, but my issue was it wasn't necessarily to, to add value to it. Um, I was going to live there. I lived there for a period, but I just didn't really like the area. So <laughs> Don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. I'm a, I'm a London boy, in it? So when I got there, I just felt mad isolated. So I was like, yeah. it ain't working for me. So I moved back. I moved back home, actually, and I started renting it out. But So it was almost like I used it just to get more money, um, get an extra income. Whereas other people like, like Lee, he... Um, bought added value obviously done it all up and um increased equity um whereas i in my in my regard i i weren't really quite sure about the area um i just wanted to get on the ladder so i bought in a, in a relatively decent area um and by luck more than anything rather than by judgment i kind of got fortunate and the market started to pick up over uh over the last six years. He's being modest, man. He knew what he was doing. Stop all this. We're all friends here, bro. Stop all this. I can't have a lie to you, blood. He's making me sick, cuz. He makes me sick, We were talking about it, bro. No, no, no. Okay, let me Okay, let me. Let me give some context. Man, I should come on a humble vibe for the babes, then. You're a nasty brother, you know. Let me give context. Let me give context. You're a nasty brother, cuz. No, let me give context. Let me give context. So, obviously, I knew about the area for a while, and I knew there was going to be some developments and regeneration around so I wasn't I wasn't sure because I didn't know anyone there so for myself I didn't really know anyone in the area so okay. Fair enough. I bought just on a feeling and it, well obviously in terms of news man said, said bought an inshallah you know yeah no but the reality is I didn't know and this is what the, the culture shock was I, I moved there and I just didn't like it at all mm. and I literally came running back as soon as possible um and that's, a, that's another thing that I feel like a lot of people need to, to do, do their due diligence and literally inspect, ask questions about the area because you don't want to end up like, because I was quite fortunate, you don't want to end up like me and hate it and you're stuck. Yeah. So, but for me, it was just getting residual income in terms of rent and rental income. But yeah, over time, um, it, the house, the property value increased with the market. And yeah, it's kind of um, opened up other doors. Um, in terms of like what's happened in the last year, um, I could I sympathise and empathise with Lee because I, I literally went through the same thing. Obviously, a sale was agreed earlier in the year, um, sold well, agreed to sell in Feb, and basically they were going. So the, the buyer was going through their mortgage application, um, and then COVID hit. And then I think about a couple of weeks later, because the, the selling process is never quick. Generally speaking, mm. it does take a, a, a long period of time. So you're going through the conveyancing, and then they're they're about to get their mortgage offer. Then at this time, I think Boris um, said that there's going to be uh, like a, a, a temporary suspension on home moving. Yeah. Um, and then banks had to pull products. Mm. And this was a first time buyer. Um, so once they pulled products it was very difficult for him to, to file a mortgage. And once that happened, the deal fell through. So I was in a panic. 
I was in a massive panic and I, I was talking to Lee every day about it to be honest because it was stress. It was, we were consoling support group, innit? <laughs> we were consoling each other about the stress because you're you're so close to something happening and obviously it's delaying everything else that you have on. But it was just hell. It was hell because you don't know what you've already got a, a plan in mind. Um, but really, COVID stopped everything. It stopped absolutely everything. Um, but fortunately now, um, they've opened, I guess they've opened up the borders again <laughs> where people can to move, they're able to move now. And uh, it, it's, like, like Lee says, it, it, it's a very, very beneficial market for, for buyers. And obviously in my, in my situation, I'm, I'm, I'm selling to buy. Um, so I, I, I've garnered the benefits already. Um, could I bought such a, a, a long time ago? I, I think I lost around five grand in regards to my asking price so i originally sold it for to what i've just now agreed to sell it for so it's not a massive massive l i mean a lot of people could have taken far worse losses than i have in that regard but it's just um it's a it's a decent market especially it's a it's definitely a buyer's market but again you have to be ready and prepared um to be in that position and it's a it's a it's a long battle to to get there really and 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 just to touch on what you just said like but you have to be ready with the right deposit because as you said banks have pulled a lot of products yeah and okay some products are coming back to the market now with i think i've seen a lot of the 20 percent deposits come back yeah. i think i've seen one or two 15 percent and there's one really strict uh, if you speak to your broker they'll be able to tell you more i've seen one really st- stingy that's <laughs> doing a 10 percent deposit but they're they're really not looking to take too many risks at the moment so if you've got a good 20% deposit, then you're you're really in a great situation at the moment. Yeah, and when it comes to deposits, and again, that, that influences uh, quite a few things. So obviously, your loan to, your, your, your loan to value, also your multiplier it, it impacts that as well. Um, so the more you put down, the bigger mortgage you could potentially get. Um, but the most important thing for me, um, after everything that's happened at this moment in time, is just being ready and prepared for the benefits that you could potentially reap. So Rishi's um, new stab duty laws, for example, have changed pretty much the game for a lot of people. Um, mm. Again, you have to be prepared for it. Um, I know not a lot of people, or some, there might be some people out there that it, it may not affect them. Um, it may affect impact, but I feel it impacts a lot of people in, in a positive way. Um, so at this moment in time, it's a, it's a good opportunity for people to act, for sure. Mm. Yeah, we'll get out to stab duty shortly. So just some numbers. So... Um, according to land registry, um, the average house price as of March 2020, because their their numbers are a bit delayed, um, is around £231,855. This is a 0.2% drop from Feb. But if you look at it from compared to last year, it's a 2.1% rise. So that shows the housing market is shrinking. We're, usually, we're used to seeing 5 to 8% rises year on year out. Whilst Halifax, they said um, earlier this week that house prices have dropped for the fourth month in a row. Um, and however, for the first, this is the first time since 2010, by the way. But however, they're saying inquiries have also surged. That's similar to what Lee was alluding to earlier. Now the market is starting to pick up, people are starting to inquire. Um, obviously, as more products come back onto the market, um, house prices altogether have dropped 0.1% from the first quarter to the second quarter. And in Scotland, house prices have dropped 4.2% in, in, in second quarter. So we're seeing house prices with, um, the impact of COVID, we're seeing house prices drop. So, as Leroy says, he's been he 
that guy's a psychopath. Like literally, I see him posting the house every day. Like <laughs> you got, you may see a lot more value in the market if you're a person who's about to buy or getting closer, reaching that number that you want to buy. Um, Mies mentioned stamp duty, and earlier this week, so that by the time you listen, it'll be uh, probably four or five days ago. Rishi Sunak announced that stamp duty, a relief of stamp duty, up to five hundred bags, um, up until the end of March. What stamp duty is is really just a tax charge on legal legal documents involved in certain transactions. Historically, a stamp duty was actually a legit physical stamp, man or stamp, and then boom, you had to pay for that. This was first introduced in June 1694, and this was a help to raise funds in a war with France. And obviously, the man themselves, rah, we raised 94 million, and that, I think that's 94 million back then. Like they're like, okay, cool, we're gonna we're gonna keep this. Initially, stamp duty was on playing cards, dice, ads, newspapers, gold and silver plates, patent medicines, game certificates, perfumes, cosmetics, receipts, pawnbrokers or solicitors or attorney licenses. Most of this stuff has been abolished over the years and, and the vast majority was abolished by 2003. But in 2003, they introduced the SDLT, which is Stamp Duty Land Tax, which the boys have been talking about, which is just essentially um, a, just a tax on, on your purchase of a house. Currently, uh, well, before, before Rishi dropped that, Stamp Duty, we had a relief of up to £125,000 if you are a first-time, no, if you're a first-time buyer. No, 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 no three hundred thousand. If you're a first time right. buyer, yeah, and then five, then you pay five percent on three hundred and one thousand, up to five hundred bags. If you're not, uh, if you're not a first time buyer, the first, the threshold is one hundred twenty five bags for residential properties and one hundred and fifty bags for non residential. So, um, boys, so how do you yeah. feel about the stamp duty being released? And what's your general thoughts on stamp duty? Right. So, so stamp duty. Um, Basically, what's what's happened now is it's a massive shift in terms of where your money goes now. So obviously, a lot of people would have money for a deposit, um, their legal fees, um, and then obviously your stamp duty. Um, now, this what's what's happened now is that if you are in a position to buy and you meet in a certain criteria, because I know a lot of people are getting kind of quite confused as to. If you've got multiple houses, if you were to buy a 500k house, you're still not going to pay stamp duty. That is not true. Um, if It has to be your main residence. Um, so, yes, if you're going to buy a house, you own other houses, but the house you're looking to buy is under 500k and is your main residence, you can benefit from this. Um, because, again, it's just a, it's a bit to kickstart um, the housing market because our economy is dependent on a thriving housing market. It, it shows up the economy, if, if the housing market is stagnant, it literally is a, a representation of the economy itself so it, it, it's a good thing it's a great thing generally if, if you're looking to buy at this moment in time you will benefit massively because a lot of people are saving anything between four to, to ten thousand pounds um so it's a great thing now stamp duty in my opinion um how because the, the rules changed uh, i'd probably say i want to say in just before 2008 um, where the stamp duty on additional homes became to be. Now, the additional stamp duty that you pay on a house, if you already own a house, um, is incredible. It is literally ridiculous. So let's give an example. So if you were to buy a house um, that's over 125k, um, which is a lot of houses in the UK, you're gonna pay like a you're gonna pay seven percent stamp duty. 
on the property. So anything between 125 to 250 k, 250 k. Um, so that's 2% of your stamp duty rate, but you're also paying an additional 5%. And that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. So that is what deters a lot of people from buying multiple houses. And I feel like the whole idea was to um, hamper and uh, I want to say deter the working class and the middle class from accumulating properties because when you accumulate property, you accumulate wealth. Yeah, but just in general. Um, so what's happened now is open a small window of opportunity to people within the working class, within, you know, the middle class to, to really benefit. And, you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm happy about it. A million percent. I'm happy. And I, I think a lot of people will be happy about what's happened. What do you think? Um, Lero? um, so I think, yeah, I can see why it's done. I can see why it's done and I can see the benefits of it. Um, Generally, you you guys know I'm I'm a very low tax person. Generally, and mm. I don't like most taxes, but property taxes are the least bad taxes, I'd say. Um, yeah. But the thing is, it's going to have an effect on catalyzing the market, but it's not really. It's actually going to shake the first time buyers, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And the reason you shake the first time buyers is most first time buyers aren't buying a house that's going to be over three hundred k anyway. Yeah. Um, so they were already exempt. Now, what this move is going to do, it's going to basically extend that that gratitude to everybody. And because it's going to do that, not all of the extra gains are going to be captured by the buyers because the thing that controls house prices is basically, because if you like a house and you love a house, you'll pay for what you can get with it. You pay for what you can what you can afford. If you love a house, you go to the maximum of your budget. So the fact that this increases your budget, if you find a house that you fall in love with, you're just going to put the extra money towards that house, which obviously is going to have an inflationary pressure on prices. Thanks. So a lot of the benefit is actually going to see, be seen by people that are selling the house. So it's actually rather than the discount all going to the people who are buying the house. So I think this is actually going to push prices up. And because first-time buyers had their little bubble where they were exempt anyway, this is now going to put, I think, prices up a little bit for the whole market. It's going to sort of give them a little bit of a boost, um, provided they get the transaction volumes in and um, you're allowed to get mortgages again for 5 and 10% deposits. So um, it's a catch-22. I think, yes, it's good because it's going to get the it's going to allow for the transactions to keep rolling again, which is going to stimulate the economy because money's going to be moving around. But personally, I, I don't know. I, I'm in a bit two minds about it because it's going to, it's going to shake the first time buyers who are the ones who are needed to get on the ladder. And it's the people who are already on the ladder who are generally a bit older, generally actually okay, generally could buy a house anyway, who are going to feel most of the benefit, particularly the generation above us who are selling the houses to us. Yeah. So yeah, it's pros and cons, isn't it? So you you made a fair point actually in regards to um, the products available because again, when you're able to buy a five percent, you know, get a mortgage at a five percent deposit, um, now those products are taken away. Mm. Again, the ma- the money that you're saving, um, it, it kind of goes away because again, you're not going to be paying stamp duty anyway if you're a first time buyer. Yeah. So it might actually become far more difficult for you to buy a property now. It's going to be more competition. Yeah, and those problems, those, just on the basis of you being able to get a mortgage, it'll be a, lo- a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, again, increased competition because, again, there'll be people, you know, who are selling their house to buy another house. So it's just, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean in regards to the first-time buyer. It could be a bit yeah. of a struggle. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're thinking quite selfishly, um, from a position where, you know, you could benefit, you know, yeah. when uh, there's pros and cons to, to both sides. But on the other hand, it's a good time to buy for them anyway because 
obviously with COVID, you got a, a divorce rate spike because people hate each other. <laughs> the best way to stay with the best way to stay with your missus is actually stay outside the house a lot of the time. So um, you've got. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm messing around. I'm messing around. I'm messing around. But anyway, um, you've got a lot of redundancies and people who are uncertain about their job. You've got people who are who are actually going, having salary decreases. So these are the these are the type of buyers. As a first time buyer, you want to try, or the type of sellers, sorry, you want to seek out. So obviously, the first question you're going to be asking when you're looking at a house that you've when you've got all your bits sorted is why, why are they moving? Why are they selling? Yeah. Um, what's the reason? And if it's one of obviously the the free the death divorce redundancy, <laughs> right? You've got a discount there. So then, um, you, if they're under pressure to move, um, then yeah, you you you're quitting. So it's going to be swings and roundabouts. Like it's going to be different forces pulling the prices up, down, different forces in your in your favour and against you. So I feel like the 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 best type of sellers generally are the ones that either don't really care about the property, so they've had it for a while and they've just, you know, they've, they've leased it out to tenants and they've damaged the house and they can't be bothered to deal with it anymore. Yeah. All the people that are really desperate to sell, they want to leave the country um, and they just want a quick sell because they're, they're just tired of having the property now. Um, yeah. But again, we're gonna, a lot of these first-time buyers are going to be competing with, again, divorces, the people that are getting divorces, people that are losing their job. And I feel like, that will counteract the amount of people um, that are able to buy a house because there's going to be a lot more. I feel there'll be a lot more properties on the market in general because of all that was, because of all what's happening. It, I, I completely. I, I just think it all depends on mortgages, like mm-hmm. because it all the whole house market is driven by access to credit. Yep. So if you don't bring the five and ten percent mortgages back, the housing market will struggle. Period. Yep. As soon as you bring the five and ten percent mortgages back with this extra benefit it's gonna it's gonna surge again you know you just get people if you can get money from a bank to do something you're gonna do it if you can't get money no one's gonna do it and that, that's that's the key factor quick quickly when are, the, when are the products coming back on the market okay quickly right. so one of the questions was um from timid for shout out my boy timid he's the outlook on house prices impact of growing up mortgages and how the government has um government has impacted it so we kind of spoke on all but um as you're, as you're discussing, one of the main impacts on Corona is just the removal of the 5 and 10% uh, products off the market. So, for example, TSB, they were the first bank that said, listen, 50% mortgages, you man, forget it. Nationwide. <laughs> nationwide. Hey, they're taking a piss. Yeah, she said, you man, forget it, bro. I don't want to hear that shit. Bitch, I think skedaddle. Get the fuck out of here. Like, get out of my office <laughs> with, with that 50% shit. So, that is one of the, that is one of the um, biggest issues that, as you said, um, with, with, with COVID. And obviously, from Max's perspective, you don't want to be taking on more leverage in this type of economy because you don't know what's going to happen. Like, and this is like, this is not like a, even a mortgage crisis wasn't as bad as this, which sounds mad. It's because a pandemic means literally every single industry is in the mud. It's in the mud. There's no, there's no velocity anywhere. And I'm, I'm talking about people, the transfer of money from, from hand to hand. It's really, really fucked with the market. So, I think, just to answer his question, really and truly, the impact of corona on mortgages is that it's limited the amount of mortgages that you can get. And even the, as, um, as Leroy alluded to, I think it was Leroy who said that, he saw like a 1-5% mortgage being offered, but it was the most Ghanaian thing, man, I was saying... One ten, it was a, yeah, <laughs> one ten, I, think there's, I think there's one lender I've seen that does a 10% mortgage. What the rest are, there's a couple who do 15, the rest is 20% or go away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and do you know what 20% mortgage is, is in London? Because they're in London, we're going to talk about help to buy it. And it helped, 
the government help to buy scheme even offers 40% equity loan in London because of how peak the prices are. So yeah. the average house price in London is about 500 or certain bags. Do you know what 20% is? <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you know that 20%? That's, yeah. that's 100 bags, big man, yeah? 100 bags in capital is a mazine. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the conditions that are um, asked of you when it comes to getting, I guess, the 10 and 15% deposits are crazy. So, yeah, in terms of access, it'll be a, a, it'll be very difficult. And I guess if you want to adhere to those conditions, then, yeah, it's doable, but some of them are just unreasonable, in my opinion. Okay, cool. I was gonna, I was gonna. Um, so, Junior by name, that's one of my other boys. Shout out, Junior. He asks thoughts on help to buy versus shared ownership versus more mortgage. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm okay, a, okay. So, listen, I hate this topic. I hate it because everyone, well, most people that are um, that have tried to go down that avenue and explored it, have re- recognized very quickly that it is a complete and utter shake. Complete oh. and utter shake. Bob. Okay, so I'll quickly explain how to buy, and I'm gonna let um my boy Leroy cook. So how to buy is what the government lends. You know what? Let me not. Like, the thing is, I completely understand the thing. Home ownership is important, and obviously, it's important for many reasons. Obviously, there's a debate I see on Twitter every day: home ownership versus renting. We'll, 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 get, we'll, get, we'll get into that. We'll get into that as well. We'll get into that. Say no more. We'll get into it because I think it's no brainer, but not at any cost, obviously. And you got to think about the the um. The downward costs, obviously, of owning a home. Now, the reason why I think help to buy can land people in a lot of trouble. So, obviously, help to buy, you get the five percent deposit, and then the government gives you an equity loan for twenty percent to give you the twenty-five percent total deposit. So, obviously, you go to the bank, you'll get good interest rates, and then you'll get, um, yeah, good interest rates, and you'll get a good deal. But the problem is, right? It depends on the prop, the size of property you're buying. If you're doing that. With a property that's small, relative, small in terms of finances, small relative to your income, to the point where you can pay off that five percent, um, yeah, that twenty uh, percent loan, sorry, that the government give you in that five years quickly, and you can bang that out alongside your mortgage. Fine, your quid's in, like well done, you, you've done amazing, and it's probably a decent move for you over the long term. But most people that probably need help to buy. Uh, need help to buy because they're struggling to get the deposit they want in the area they want. So it's unlikely that they have the the earnings to be able to pay off that 20% of your property value in five years because that's a big lump. So unless you're predicting that your um, salary, etc., is going to skyrocket, that's unlikely. And especially in London, that, I mean, that comes out with like over 150K or something for the maximum. Bear amount. in mind, in London, you can borrow up to 40% of the purchase. So imagine you got a full... Imagine you forty percent. That's a scam. For, for That's a so, so <laughs> but the thing is, what will then happen is, obviously, if you're struggling to get that deposit and you're struggling to get on the ladder, then you've got your mortgage to pay, right? And you're paying your mortgage. You do your sums around your mortgage, but then in five years' time, you've obviously got the interest rate which comes in, so on the equity loan that the government's given you, and that ratchets up quite quickly and increases with inflation. So we don't know what that's going to be. So you've got an, your mortgage amount, which you're paying every year, and then in five years they drop this on you, and then you've got to pay this extra cost, which is increasing every year. If you, for example, can't sell the house, or if property prices drop, or so, for example, you're in negative equity, or you can't sell the house for as much as you thought you could, or even, like, you, you're just not in a position that you can move, like... You, 
you're in a in a sticky situation where you either you have to sell or you become a forced seller or you're going to lose your property because you're not going to be able to keep up with these escalating payments to pay back this massive loan that the government's given you. So I just don't like I think help to, they need to come up with a new strategy because I feel like help to buy only really benefits current homeowners because, again, it allows more people to the market with smaller deposits, which is just, again, inflating house prices, which is what they want at the end of the day. They want house prices to go up. Um and yeah, it's good for the developers because the developers get more buyers, manage to sell for more money and get get the extra cash. So I just feel that that's who is really benefiting. I think the only small proportion of people it's really going to be a great deal of benefit for are people who can get houses and pay off that loan within five years, which I'm not sure what percentage. I'd love to see the statistics on it, which I don't think is going to be the majority of people who end up using help to buy. Okay, that's so let me give an example. So... Um, as I'm really went about de- detailing how to buy is when the government lends first-time buyers and existing homeowners ability to purchase a newly built home. It can't be more than £600,000. The scheme is scheduled to end in 2023. You can borrow up to 20% of the purchase price interest-free for five years and you need at least 5% of the deposit. But as I said, you can get up to 40% in London. If um, So here's the matter. So let me give you an example. Let's say the house costs 200 bags, yeah? You do your 5% deposit, that's 10K. Your equity loan is worth 40K. So you borrow 40K from the government and your mortgage, you're paying a mortgage on 75%, which is 150 bags. So you have five years interest-free to pay 40 bags, which works out to £667 per month on top of your, on top of your mortgage. That's if you want to avoid the interest, interest payments. So something that you really, really want to take into consideration. In terms of just some numbers on it, about two, about just over a quarter a million people, a quarter million properties have been bought from this scheme from, and that's from April 2013 when it, when it launched up until the end of last year, December 2019. The total value of these loans is £13.34 billion. So essentially, this is a big ass Ponzi scheme because of, because the people that are paying for you, man, to get on the property ladder, but shut you lot. Um, and the number and the, the total percent um, of first time buyers using this scheme was. £81,000, I mean 81%, and the mean purchase price was 266000 So that the mean for the average person is paying even more than, well, they will have to pay even more than £667 on a monthly basis on top of their mortgage if they want to avoid paying um, any um, interest rate on that loan. So those are some of the things that to consider. So Mies, what's your thoughts on Help to Buy? It's insane for me, and I... I... I always worry about, because obviously a lot of people do want to get on the property ladder. And I understand a lot of the conditions that um, we're in, in terms of saving, the capacity to save, especially if you're living in London. Um, the rental uh, market is a disgrace. Um, I will touch on that a little bit later on, but the rental market's a disgrace. So your capacity to save and have you know excess and disposable income is dramatically reduced. So I feel like it's understandable. And I, the reason why I don't completely rubbish a scheme, because I know that a lot of people actually need it and a lot of people it's their only way of getting onto the property market they need to change it you know but again exactly they definitely need to change the structure of it definitely need to change um the conditions in regards to it because it's a complete mess because once you get into the sixth year anything can happen like you literally have no control um and when it comes to buying property the reason why a lot of people actually buy property is because they want to be in control of their destiny they don't have to be forced to do anything and ultimately 
this could put you in a in a big big mess. And I, I where where I can advise people, I say it if you can avoid it, absolutely avoid it, absolutely, because it will bring a, a, a whole heap of headaches. If especially if you're especially given this current environment in COVID, where you don't know what a post-COVID life will look like because it's just so up in the air. Um, so, yeah, if you're thinking about it, if it's your only way, then by all means. But I definitely wouldn't be pushing that towards anyone unless it had went through serious reform because, for me, it looks it's a utter mess right now. You know, Cause There are a lot of drawbacks of it. There's too many. Leo, do you want to jump back in on that or are you... Um, no, no, I, I completely agree, man. It's just um, the the only thing as well. Like, we, I'm not as well versed on shared ownership, but correct me if I'm wrong, Mead. You might know more than me. Yeah. I swear. So you've obviously bought a house of a certain patch share, and then you're paying rent on the rest of the share. Yeah. Exactly yeah. So, I mean, I haven't looked into it, but in that case, doesn't that mean one? Obviously, you have to keep up with rent payments. I'm not sure if they've. Uh, broke that into the contract they, they have to stay static or they go up so you're paying a mortgage and a rent as well mm-hmm. and then the second thing if you want to sell who is really going to be wanting to buy a share of a property uh, uh, lots of people that's the thing really? a lot of people, yeah there's a big market for shared ownership um, but the thing, is their, um, the thing is with um, shared ownership you could staircase yeah. so whilst you're paying rent you could also buy back equity okay 10% cool. at a time so once you pay it all back you get all you. You don't have to pay any rent anymore, and the property is all yours. So uh, one of one of my friends has done that. He he, he bought a, a flat apartment, a new building, Park Royal. He staircased. I think, um, yeah, twenty five percent in two years. He was just like banging it out. He's like, yeah, I'm just paying it all back. So it's doable. Um, it's very very difficult, but it, I feel like that's probably a better option than a help to buy. I case. guess these things are would suit people who are at the beginning of their careers and who know they've got pretty solid careers and know yep. their earnings are going to go up and up and up and up and up over exactly. five to ten years. But if it's not in that situation, uh, obviously everyone's going to do their own thing and this isn't financial advice by any means because we're just, who are we? We're some random. Exactly, any use. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, it just seems like you can get yourself into trouble like that. Yeah, yeah so but, yeah, so shared ownership is essentially... A, a bad bitch collab of buying or renting you own a share you pay rent on a part of course you don't own so you, you with a shared ownership you purchase anywhere between 25% and 75% of a property initially you have the option to buy a bigger share at a later date and the overwhelming majority of these properties are new builds to qualify mm-hmm. for this you must be a first time buyer or somebody who used to own a home but can't afford one now and also your combined income of the household must be less than 80 bags or 90 bags if it's in London so, yeah. according to Savilis, um, Savils, more than two hundred thousand people live in live in shared ownership homes in twenty nineteen. So it is it is pretty almost as, a big market. almost as um, not too dissimilar in terms of property from help to buy. So, but of course, again, like um, this is this not make sense. We're just some some young men speaking. I like to give the most holistic view. So I'm not going to give you the the unicorn. Uh, the birds and sky view like it's also <laughs> difficult because fam like you got to remember because you're especially if it's with um what's it called shed ownership you can also you also you call, you're also paying service charge as well on a yearly basis yeah. so that that's 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 another cost and also a lot of um shed, shared ownership spots there could also be leasehold and that's something else to consider and we're going to talk about free of us leasehold so that's the difference between we spoke about shared ownership so you're buying a portion of yard 
and then whatever. So let's say if you own twenty five percent of the house, you're going to be paying um, um, rent to on a seventy five percent, and obviously depending on the numbers, you pay more or less rent. We spoke about help to buy, and then a regular mortgage. So um, meets. So talk to us about just a standard everyday mortgage. And maybe the difference between a, a mortgage repay, um, having a repayment mortgage and an interest um, interest only mortgage. Oh, so there, there's obviously the, there's a capital um, and interest mortgage. That's that's the standard one, and then you've also got an interest one, which you're just paying interest on on the property, basically also on your mortgage, and that's it. You're not pay, repaying anything. So the whole purpose of a a capital plus interest um, mortgage is to at some point completely repay the mortgage um whereas the interest the interest ones are just you're not really going to ever own it um entirely anyway you're just going to be living in it um that's, that's the only real difference really um but again there's different conditions involved i've not, i've never really veered towards the interest um only mortgages but i know they are accessible i don't know if what i don't know what the situation is now though in regards to covid i don't know in terms of the products available um they're going to be next to it exactly next to I, I, I wouldn't be surprised because the, the reason, obviously, that they're they're doing they're putting the products on lower um, percentages is just to protect themselves against drops in value. Yep. So I would I would imagine there'd still be products on interest only, provided that you have a higher deposit, obviously, because yep. yep. obviously those are usually targeted as investors who are looking to just um, capitalize on capital growth, minimize their outgoings, yeah. add, add, uh, keep their cash flow, add, um, add value, and then obviously remortgage. Move on. Um, so, um, yeah, I can imagine if you still had a high deposit, they'd manage to lend you one. Yeah, but also I just wanted to go back to just shared ownership quickly. Um, most of the shared ownerships are actually like flats and apartments. So as much as you're going to be... Um, having service charges you're going to have service charge on on leaseholds anyway mm. um so whether you completely pay off your um you, you know the, the rental part of your your shared ownership um you're still going to have um maintenance fees and yeah all of that regardless when you're when you finish paying that so that's another i guess a downside of having a leasehold because you're at the whim of the the freeholder um so yeah so i just wanted to get that in there okay so quickly um the difference between freehold and leasehold. So freehold is you own the property and the land it stands on. So let's say you've got a house in Stratford, you own the property and you also own the land that the house stands on Stratford. Leasehold is that you don't, you actually don't own the land the property is built on. You're essentially renting the property from the freeholder for either a number of years, decades or centuries. Most flats tend to be leaseholds with the freehold um, held by the builder or the firm he or, so, he or she sold the freehold to. So that's just something different. So, Boys, and you, so what's your thoughts on standard mortgage versus shared ownership versus help to buy? So I'll go to um, Leroy on this one. Uh, it's, it's, the thing is, it depends. Everyone depends on their situation. But me personally, as a individual, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use any of those schemes. I would rather wait, save the money up, and do it to get a, a normal repayment mortgage with a ten percent deposit at the minimum. Because five percent deposit, the interest rates go mad, and you just think, fuck. You're just paying a lot of money, yeah. Well, in interest, really. So, um, if you can save up that way, but obviously, it's everyone's everyone's prerogative. Like everyone's got a different strategy. So, for me, like we couldn't afford a place in London straight away. Well, the type of property that we'd like. Um, so, the plan was go out a little bit. Obviously, still only what, half an hour drive or whatever. 
um, add value, then use that equity to go and buy the house in, in the zones that we want to, we want to live in. And it works mm. out that way. But some people can't do that. Like you say, some people don't like living in certain areas. And everyone's going to have a different strategy. But me, I, I think I don't like any of these schemes. I don't think they're... Um, I think there's a little bit of risk in there. But obviously, there's a risk in every process, but it's just me as a person. Yeah. Okay, what, what about you, Mies? Um, um, in regards to the schemes, again, I'm, I'm, I'm like Lee. I, I, I wouldn't use them, but again, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So ultimately, in the property market, yes, your ideal is having full ownership or um, having a normal mortgage. But again, it's all about your, your conditions and your capacity. So whilst these products do have their faults and um, these services have their faults, they do serve and service a lot of people. So me personally, I wouldn't touch them. And like Lee said, I'd wait. Um, but again, you, I, I think the complete removal of these um, will hamper a lot of people. So yeah, it all depends on your circumstance, really and truly. It all depends. Yeah. So it's, it's, a very, it's a weird question. It's an ambiguous question because it really does all depend on your circumstance. Yeah, really. I, I think I think it's good that you guys answered that manner because um, with social media and other just platforms, people who may have embarked on one um, journey will completely champion that journey and just say, "Yo, if you don't do it this way, everything always is done." So it's good to give like an actual balance view and show that a lot of things in life are actually situational and Definitely. Yeah. everyone has different priorities. Man. Yeah, like, exactly. Some people like really priorities prioritize the location some people really want to get on the ladder as early as possible some people yeah would rather wait and like and some people have got kids some people need everyone's got a different situation so everyone's journey is valid it's just like there's lots of different ways to do things okay so um i got a question and this is from the lovely chanel maria x she asks what are the pros and cons of taking out a mortgage and i'm gonna also interpret this as renting versus mortgage because if you're not taking out a mortgage i'm assuming you're living somewhere <laughs> so unless you're a squatter i shout my boy daryl who asks a very ridiculous question of this idiot he goes how do, how do you locate empty houses in london so we could claim squatters rights like i wish i knew so i could live in some of these arab, so, yeah. arab yards in like Notting hill and then man when they haven't bro, seen them yards in 10 years catch me there bro squatting <laughs> I, I wish i knew fam squatting bro a young wi-fi you mad but um so um, I'll go to Mies first. So pros, okay. So pros and cons of a mortgage versus renting, and then we'll just right. di- diverge into a big old rent versus so, mortgage. So before before I get started, obviously there, there's always a big debate around ownership and renting um, in our community, generally speaking, because I thought it's all about attitudes, and ultimately your decisions are shaped around your attitudes and your, your morals and your beliefs as to what is important to you. Um, cause I feel, I feel like a lot of people, um, value and championship, they champion ownership. And there's a lot of people that really don't have that thought in mind. And that's very okay. I feel like you, you don't need to, not everyone needs to have the same thought and same dreams and same goals and desires. So like, I, I generally feel like there's no right and wrong way to live because ultimately everyone's lives are different. So, but in terms of, organically or i guess it's even artificially building and generating um, generational wealth i feel like that one of the easiest ways to do so is actually acquiring a property um i know a lot of people say oh well you know what if i could rent if i was to rent and save the money that i i'd spend on a mortgage and stuff and i just invest it in like stocks and shares and stuff yes that's possible and it's possible to probably um you know acquire 
wealth. Yeah, quickly, hold on. Let me shout out Mr. Obes underscore. He says, for <laughs> on opportunity cost analysis, having a bulk sum of mortgage instrument versus using instead of money to try and make more money elsewhere. So you're right. kind of answering this question. Yeah, I'm so like, you can do that. But how many people in general have <clears throat> actual knowledge, the capacity to, to, to analyse the stock market and exploit it to, to make decent level of gains it's not very um it's not very common and it's not something that everyone will have the knowledge to do also also it's a lot more volatile a million percent and you need to bear in mind the economic conditions that we're in right now it's very very difficult to to have a mastery of the market in general let alone in uncertain economic times so whilst people will use that and offer that suggestion how realistic is that suggestion that's what you need to start asking yourself. So in terms of like the property market, it is relatively quite simple because you don't really have to do that much. You just need to do the ba- the basics and make the right decisions in certain, in certain, well, at certain periods of time. And generally it will just sort itself out. Um, and that's not taking that much work. That's not taking that much um, studying. Um, obviously, if you want to compound and accelerate your your, your wealth, yes, you're going to have to do a, a, a varying degree of effort, put a varying degree of effort in, um, in comparison to someone that is not really worried about building wealth of millions and millions and hundreds of thousands of stuff. They just want to be comfortable. It's all about attitudes, really and truly. It is all about attitudes. Um, but like renting. So the benefits of renting, obviously, that you don't have to put a, a super down deposit uh, deposit on um on living on in a space to live um but at the same time in that period of time you're you're also losing the the, the potential gains the equity gains that you could have mm. if you were to buy so yes you, there's always going to be benefits and costs but i me personally i kind of veer towards and that's just because of my attitude towards ownership generational wealth and just um wealth accumulation in general my eyes and my gaze will kind of be more slightly towards property ownership. That doesn't mean I don't see the benefits of renting as well, because, you know, it's not very easy, especially in London, if you're living in London, to save a 40, 50K to buy a house. You need to make certain decisions, certain... um, Yeah, again, you have to analyse your cost-benefit. If you feel like location's important, I want to be near my family, my friends and be in the, the like the, the epicenter of London, then yeah, you're you're probably not gonna be thinking about buying right now. You're gonna be thinking, okay, I wanna live or rent in a place where I'm I feel comfortable, I feel at home, um, rather than my decision where I moved away to a place where I weren't really comfortable. And you know, so those are I guess the sacrifices in that regard. Um that some people don't wanna take. And that again, that's understandable. You don't have to again you, there is no right and wrong way to do this, really and truly. Um, th- there really isn't. So the rental the rental debate is always going to be there because there's no real answer to it, to be honest. All right, cool. Um, I've got a lot of good points there. Um, Lee, what are you, what are you saying? Um, so, like, I mean, I think the debate is only a limited amount of points, so I don't think I've got that much more to expand. But it's similar to following up with me said... For me, I mean, I can give it from a personal perspective. The whole thing was about control. So, uh, obviously, rent, you've got the opportunity costs in the extra money that you save that you don't have to put a deposit, which you can go and invest and do whatever you want with it and use it to make more money. Wonderful. Really, like, that. that's great. If you've got the ability to do that, wonderful. You'll probably make more money doing it, to be fair. Um, 
Obviously, um, if anything goes wrong, anything breaks in the house, just one call to your landlords is yep. fixed. You have yep. got no additional costs like that. You've got no worries, no dramas or anything like that. If there's anything wrong, yeah, you just, you've got some, someone else's problem, which is another thing because running costs and, and um, fixing things and uh, it, unexpected costs like your boiler going and all that kind of craziness, like it costs a lot of money. So um, you always have to have a really, you have to have a, a bigger emergency fund to be a homeowner than a renter. Um, but for me, in terms of homeownership, positives are, the, well, the negative is renting, sorry, you're at the whim of who owns the house because they own the house. So if they want to sell the house and kick you out when you're comfortable and you love your area and you love where you are, you've got no choice. Like, mm. stay out of the house, you've got to go. Um, if um, they're acting up and you don't, so for example, if you've got mould, you've got the things that cover the house and they're not fixing it, you're at the whim of the how good your landlord is. Correct. Um, and another factor is, which is the big factor for me, is you don't have financial control because you're the whim of the mental rental market. So if you're in an area that gets gentrified and everything, and like as we were talking on the Twitter all the time about sort of land value taxes and stuff, and they do the development and they do all this, and then the market rate for the place that you stayed in for five years, six years goes up, and the landlord wants to increase your rent by four hundred pound a month, um, you're at that whim. So the the, the benefit for me of home ownership is you're in control. So you're 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 in, well, not immune because obviously interest rates will affect the prices you pay if, if you're outside fixed terms and things yeah. like that. But you're in control of your destiny financially. So you know what you're going to pay, how much you're going to pay for however long. And it's also an inflation edge because we all know like um, with this fiat money like <laughs> that they've got nowadays that they, they, they print money all day and we don't know what's going to happen with inflation. Mm-hmm. So you've seen what's happened in previous generations and how, and how that's changed mm-hmm. um, and how inflation of housing and rental prices. So you, you, in 10 years, if rental prices are 50% higher for, because something goes catastrophically wrong and we go back to the 70s and we've got runaway inflation, but you're still paying um, £1,000 a month for your mortgage, um, it's great. You're, 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 you're laughing. So that, it's mainly the financial control that gives you that, I feel like, is the main positive. And also the security and also just, the one, the feeling of, like, you, you, I mean, you they don't technically own it the bank owns it obviously but you own something it's, it's nice and then you can make it your own you can do whatever you want with it you can start doing crazy alterations and make it really put your stamp on it that's another thing that I feel is massively beneficial with homeowning but at the end of the day the most important thing is what can you afford because the <laughs> dumbest thing you can do is go and buy a house you can't afford <laughs> and then you're in big trouble so um, yeah. if, if, you, if you can't afford to buy a house rent and there's nothing wrong with renting there's no shame in renting I rented for years and years and years yeah. no problems with it but if you can buy a house and you want to make that decision and that you, you look at the pros and cons and that's where your your um, scale fall then good for you go, go for it yeah, um, yeah I, I think people need to understand that listen everybody well most of us are fortunately not homeless um, I, that sounds bare and sensitive, um, but I'm just trying to the point to say that we're either renting or owning, and it's perfectly fine. Like in Germany, a lot more people rent than they do here. That's fine. Everyone's fine as long as you're doing what's best for you. In it, um, you raised a point. You raised a point, um, um, uh, Leroy, to the to the end of your um, argument, and, and I've just got a question 
from Finance Pappy. Well, I don't think this is a question. I feel like this is more like he's sending shots to people. But he said, oh, wow. why do some people think banks own your house? And why do people not understand a mortgage is your liability and, a, and your house is your asset? Your asset, yeah. House is yours. Yeah. So, um, you can explain that. I think he was just trying to diss people, but <laughs> really and truly, but um, you you guys can explain that for the listeners. Yeah, so that's, that's technically true. So, like, it's the same with a car. Like, your car, you've got finance. You, you own the asset. So the asset is in your name, like it's your name on the deed, it's your name on land registry, like you own it. But you've got a liability, which is a separate entity altogether, mm-hmm. which is the loan or the mortgage or whatever you've taken out against that asset or to, to, to procure that asset. So you own a house, you own a house. So people that send shots saying, oh, you don't really own a house, bank, which I just said is not technically true. Um, but... Maybe it's the Nigerian mentality in me and the hippo mentality that we hate credit. Like I can't feel like I own something that's not fully mine because I swear to you, the day I finish paying off my mortgage and I plan to not be in the mortgage for too long, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take my. I'm gonna take my sandals off because I'm gonna be <laughs> wearing sandals. I'm gonna go to the grass and I'm gonna feel the grass under my feet and it's gonna feel different. <laughs> you're nuts but that for you um, shout out Chantal Lewis or Chantal Lewis she goes she goes why do some people think they own a property when they have a mortgage kiss energy I think you guys have answered the question it's because right. yeah it's because yeah. they do own a property they, they, there's just a liability which is the there's mortgage there's a liability attached to it yeah so um, yeah. what are you going to add to that means yeah no they're just, you own the house you will always own the house but until you can't pay it so the conditions of your mortgage is if you can't but if you can't own, if you if you can't afford to pay us anymore, then we will sell the house or own the house. Um, we take it off collateral, you, basically. So uh, you still own the house. They have to yeah. take it off you, yeah. and the only way they can take it off you is if you can't. Break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because essentially, the so, house is collateral, as you said. Exactly, exactly. So it, it's just literally a liability that is attached to your asset, which is your asset. You know, it's not the bank's. Yeah. Know? The no. banks are the they're, they're lingering until you pay, and that's why there's a lot of people like like Lee that <laughs> once the day that it's all paid, you're gonna you know run run around your yard naked. You know that it's yours. <laughs> Real talk. You know, yeah. it. So it's it's just different. It's it's just different. The way it's the way you look at it. It's just the, the eye and the lens in, in which you look at it. But I feel that question's a way to send shots at people that, are, that own homes. Yeah, one hundred, one hundred, one hundred. It's a constant battle online between the pretentious people that own homes and think they're better than everyone else that's renting, and plus the people that are renting who are a bit salty at people that own homes who move pretentiously and who've got a reason for it. So, yeah. oh, quick, quick, quickly, Mies, I remember you commented on a tweet, yeah. And yeah. then people are pamming you first week. Although I usually enjoy when people pam you, this one I just don't really <laughs> under, this one I really didn't understand. So what what's like the young lady, I don't want to misquote her, did she say something? I remember she said something about 40k deposits, yeah. something on the lines where people what, what did she say again? I can't remember. But I, I believe her um she, she obviously she completely like she rightfully complained about the the housing market in London in terms of Yeah, which is a fast Yeah, the capacity to it's a mess. Um in terms of the capacity to to save 40k and you know, just uh, making necessary or making certain sacrifices um, to save the forty k uh, wow, isn't necessarily worth it um, because because it's difficult. And I literally said, I completely understand because the market is a farce. It's an absolute joke, and it is not easy. By no means it is easy to to save forty k just like that to buy a house in London. You know what I mean? And that, that was my point. And, oh. and then I furthered it. I furthered it by saying, look you're going to have to make sacrifices one way or another. So whether that is you renting, that is a sacrifice 
you not you not owning and you renting, you're making a sacrifice there. Facts. You're, you're, <laughs> you're making the decision to rent because you feel like ownership right now is either not viable or just not in your plans at the minute. That's what I'm saying. So it's and that, that's why I say it's okay because ultimately, regardless of your decision, whether you own, whether you, you stay at home, whether you rent, you are making certain sacrifices which are completely okay. It's completely understandable as well. So I don't feel like it's um maybe maybe it's just the way I said it. Maybe it's just uh, or maybe it's the way it was received. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it's about sacrifice in in regardless. It's just whether you, as, a, as an individual or a collective of people that are buying or, or renting together, um, whether you feel like it's, it's, it's worth it. I feel like it's a nonsense opinion anyway, but because there's this thing that I keep seeing about people who are putting down the slow and steady approach and the little things don't matter approach. And it's quite frustrating for me personally because it is all about your habits and mm-hmm. little things matter. Little things add up over time. So for regards to that, that tweet itself that you you were getting all heat for. So there was another tweet that was circulating about uh, if to waste, what, five grand a month, it was 13, 70 a day or something. Mm-hmm. And people were talking about the little things that we buy. So, for example, if you don't cook your lunch or you cook your um, take, uh, cook your lunch at home mm-hmm. and you go out to eat every day at work, five days a week, you could easily spend £10 if you're in London. Easy. Yeah. If oh, that's light. Yeah. If I get food, it, it has to be hot. That's a that's a ten, that's a that's a tenner fam, minimum. You you go to a young prep, that's nine quid. Exactly. Might have spent a nine pound on paninis, you know. That's a magazine. But go on. And and these little things matter because obviously this is not you're not going to build a deposit overnight. You're not it's not gonna happen. So you're probably looking for most people for the who an average amount like, like a, t- a decade worth of saving so you, let's say you get out of uni at what 21 mm-hmm. so you're probably going to be looking to buy a house when you're in your 30s or early 30s 31 so if you had saved that 1370 a day that they they mentioned so 1370 a day and that's five grand a year and if you don't have a 10 years you've got 50 bags that's your 50 grand deposit so mm-hmm. the little your your little behaviors this is what saving is about that is what financial prudence is about the little behaviors that you do and you do it consistently actually make massive differences they make massive differences over time it's the same thing with investments like people always say like oh um, i can't really invest i ain't got no money to invest even if you invest 50 pound a month Mm-hmm. which is okay for some people if you've got small little amounts compound interest that will, in 10 years this is all long-term stuff this is all, what the what do you think pensions are based on do, do you know uh, what this is pensions are based on tiny amounts of not tiny smaller amounts of money that mm-hmm. end up supporting you for your entire life because of compound interest so these things matter obviously you probably want to put that that savings in a good savings vehicle um something that's tied away that's could actually give you a decent return um obviously that's quite difficult in this low interest world but Little things matter. Your little behaviours matter. So that uh, that avocado toast thing they always cuss me the for, okay, it's a bit silly from the boomers because they had it very, very easy. Yeah, man are getting, the man are getting deposits for six bags in London. Look. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, so they're taking a piss, but there is some truth in that. Like, the principle, you should yeah. be buying avocado toast and yeah, yeah, like have your butter and stuff like that. So make the little changes. Obviously, you don't want to live in complete, you completely deprive yourself, but it depends on what, what's beneficial for you. Don't just sit there and moan about it. Because, yeah, but, oh, yeah. you feel that people are, are making sacrifices and stuff. Some people are making sacrifices because that's what's important to them, and it right. does matter. So don't pretend it doesn't matter. Yeah, when I can I jump on the back of that? So uh, sacrifices are literally at the the very root and core of your spending and saving patterns and behaviours. 
generally yeah. speaking. So if you're not gonna if you're not gonna make necessary sacrifices in regards to your spending and saving, then again, ultimately it's your cost benefit. I'm thinking, okay, well, if I feel like I, I want a, an Uber Eats or I want to take an Uber here or I want, you're making a, a decision to forego something long term. Because again, if your spending habits are naturally, I'm, I, if you're not, basically, I, I feel like if you, you have to have a certain set, um, set of principles and plans in regards to long-term ownership and long-term um, preparing yourself for ownership, right? So having a basic budget is absolutely necessary and a, a budget that you can adhere to and not completely deprive yourself. No matter how long that necessarily takes, if you have a, a regimented budget that you can stick towards, more often than not, if you, veer, if you don't veer away from it, you'll be in a, in a very decent position. But if you're haphazardly saving and, you know, you, you don't really have a set plan, it then becomes harder. It, be, it then becomes very, very hard. And if you're not watching what you're spending and watching your, your spending habits, then again, that just compounds how difficult it is. And that's not to say it is easy. It is not easy. It is literally not easy making, you know, making sacrifices or, you know, declining lunches because it, it, it's not easy. And I'm not saying that it's... um. But then also, on the other side, some people may not be making enough money in general to be saving a lot of money to then get the said deposit. So I see it from both sides. But that's the, that's the decision then, we've got to make. But exactly, just don't dismiss the exactly. concept. That's my point. Don't exactly. dismiss the concept. Exactly. You can't dismiss the concept based on your earnings, basically. If, in regards of how much you are able to save, if you can save something and you're, you're diligent at it, you will accrue... Um, a sum of money at an uh, end point in time. That, that's it. So I don't feel like you can completely dismiss people's sacrifices because it's a sacrifice both ways. You get what I'm trying to say? It, it's, uh, yeah, 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 it means I think, I think, I think what it is, I think when I was reading that, I think people were just taking out it was projection. People were taking out their frustrations with the market, their frustrations with their situation. And I'm not saying this in a shady way because I don't own it, so I'm not coming like I'm not coming like I'm Mr. Fifty Five Houses or anything. I don't even I don't even own one. But I think people are taking out the frustrations on you because it makes them seem like oh this is something this is is my fault. The, the, the market isn't your fault, but doesn't mean that there's things that we can't do. Especially especially seeing a lot of the tweeters, some people are in quite privileged situations where they've gone to uni and they've what according to their tweets, not according to what they project, they're doing okay. So if we're doing okay. Especially if you're still living at home, unless I'm assuming that you might not have to overcompensate for being at home in terms of providing. With with time, and that's the thing, it takes time. Uh, it's called marginal marginal gains theories. Like to go from a person with a complete novice or amateur to the best basketball player in the world, or highly qualified or highly qualified doctor, or a very good footballer, or great artist, you can't do it overnight. Is about working day in day out. It's called marginal gains theory. You can't go from one percent. You can't make thirty percent improvement overnight. But guess what you can do? You can improve by one percent on not point five every day. And as as Leroy says, it compounds and it becomes a snowball effect. So you save in certain p. And I saw a lot of people running jokes. So I ain't saving. Fair enough. Like, do live your movie, live your movie. But I don't think it's it's not. It's actually just point blank period wrong to criti- to critique that theory because it's cap. Because everybody that owns a home. Well, a good number. Let me speak on my people because some people have been given a, a very um, big leg up from their parents and shout at them because we all look to do that for our own kids. Hence why we're yeah. on this grind. But for for the two gentlemen I'm speaking to on our, on our pod, they may say, like, bruv, 
I think in the time I've known um, Lee, he's probably bought like two pairs of trainers. I swear to God, this guy <laughs> does not give a this guy does not give a damn, bro. This guy will still toilet roll for work. He don't care. And if you know how much he earns, you will actually vomit. He don't give a damn. Me, he watches his money like Hawkeye, bro. VAR on his spending. Like, and that's what I have to do. Me, I'm complete opposite. Me, I'm a typical Yoruba. I like the high life. I like the drip. So I didn't make no sacrifices. <laughs> but now I'm over it. Now in the yards. So now I'm going to try making sacrifices, yeah? So no more bad bees. No more drip. No more biscuits. Man's going <laughs> to focus. On, you know what I'm saying? So it all depends on what you want to do in life. So moving well, on from yeah. that. Uh, actually, well, Michelle. But, but go, the go thing on, is, uh, one thing I want to say is... I want to add... Okay, go on. No, go on, go on. I was going to say... The people's frustration with the market are valid. Yeah, 100. Because I'm frustrated with the market. The market is a com- it's a complete sham. And we all know what's going on. We all know that this is a structured plan from people at the top of society to accumulate wealth without doing anything, so complete unearned wealth, and cement themselves amongst the elite. We, we all know this. Mm-hmm. And we all know they're doing it via property, and that's the, that's the way most people... Um, build most of their wealth like most regular people anyway and it's completely unfair we know the system needs to change but at the end of the day it's not going to change so we have to be realistic and practical and find ways that people in our generation especially if you're we've not got no parental help you can't you can't do uh, you can't go to someone who's going to give you some money we need to find ways to thrive otherwise what are we supposed to do just sit there and just cry about it yeah we'll get on with it what I was going to say is that again um, I don't think we really mentioned it that much but i feel like staying at home as long as possible is oh, all it is look don't be in a rut because i understand look then again i i don't want to be telling people what to do yeah so but what i will say is yes you're going to have the nest you're going to have some pressures that you know you may want your own space you know you, you've just come back from uni you've just come back from uni and you're used to having your own space and moving back into your parents' house. It's just invasive. You're not. You're, 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 you've spent three years away, three four years away. Can't bring girls or guys back. It's all you know what I mean? You, you can't really enjoy. You can't really enjoy your your own space and the capacity to do what you want to do as an adult. I get that. But again, don't feel pressured unless it's internal pressure from yourself. But even then, I just I feel like you need to be um, quite rational in your decision-making and don't rush to, to move out or rush to, to try and buy. Because again, it is really a, it's your own race. It is literally your own race. And what I do want to try and get across to people is that it's very important to not watch other people and watch their circumstances. Because again, you could be 24, 25, trying to buy your house and you know that a 22 year olds bought their house. It, it, you're at different points in time, you're at different points in life, you're at different circumstances. So I thought it's very important to just run your own race and deal with what you as an individual can, can deal with and, you know, run at your own capacity, not other people's, you know? What I mean? I'll tell you what, now you start, I completely agree because that's, in my, I've made two financial mistakes in my life, like two that I literally think about all the time and one of them was not moving back home Facts. for uni and spending, wasting so much money on rent. Oh, it makes me sick. I actually feel like a bit nauseous right now. <laughs> like, oh, like, honestly, if I could do have my time again, even though, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed yeah. my life. But, um, yeah, live, I'll, I'll, I'll go back and live at home and stay at home. And, and yeah. So, like, for me, let's see, again, like, I told you my situation, I moved back and I didn't have a problem with it. It's just like, yeah. uh, it, okay, uh, not to say I didn't have a problem with it, Personally, and that's because I'm prideful. Um, but at the same time, I knew that 
at certain points in time, I benefit over a period of time. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. And more importantly, I'm not going to watch other people and watch what other people do because I'm trying to focus on what I want to do and what works for me. You know what I mean? So it's important. Also, I, I do want to touch on one more thing. I know ultimately the end goal for a lot of us who's grown up in London, who, you know, you want to buy in London because it's home, right? Mm-hmm. I get that. We need to start thinking of a strategy to make our way back to London. Just yep. because you buy outside of London or buy in Manchester, Birmingham, etc. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm saying if the plan ultimately is to return back to home, home being London, then make the necessary steps. If you can't afford to do it immediately, fine. You could buy outside and work your way back in. That is a completely rational way of thinking and moving. Which loads of people do, by the way. So don't don't think you're isolated in doing that. A lot of people buy outside. I I do feel like within our community, I know we we generally... um, I wouldn't even say it's um, a lack of um, patience. I feel like just generally, our generation are very... um, We're we're quite... um, we want immediate gratification, you know, because I feel like we want something straight now, now, now. Um, if we start thinking and planning ahead and start making the, the necessary steps and thinking, okay, look, if I can't afford to buy in London, but the aim is at some point in time I can, then the best way of doing that is accumulating wealth via property. So buying outside of London, places in um, um, potential economic um, or potential growth redevelopment in the area to um, increase your equity in your house. And then you then slowly work your way back in. It may take a long period of time. It may take a long period of time, but I feel like that might even be a, a better economic way of doing things rather than completely saving, staying at home for 10, 15 years. Because I know that's difficult. That is difficult. But you just, again, it's all about sacrifice. You have to ultimately make the decision that which works for you, which you're comfortable with. You know? Yeah. Uh, Michelle Cudsey asks, is it beneficial to hold off buy-in to save a higher deposit? Um, I think I think we've answered that. Um, uh, I think yeah, actually, we, 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 can go, we can go on some more about that. Though. The thing is, yeah, go uh, on. That, that, if you've got the money to buy, yeah, so that is that's the trade-off you've got because it depends on what you value. Because you could end up better off either way. It really depends on how the chips fall. So what you could do, say, if you had a ten percent deposit, uh, if you bought early and property prices went up, so you were in the property for two years, you could have more in equity at the end than the deposit that you put put down. However, if you put, you've saved up and you le- left it a couple of years and you've got, say, a 20% deposit, your interest rate is going to be lower. So you're going to have less monthly outgoings and it's going to allow you to have more capital um, per month and then you can build it out that way. But then you've missed out on two years of capital growth. Exactly. It really depends. If the market's stagnant in those two years, then you haven't really, uh, it's not really been beneficial to buy it early. Because yeah. they're the deposit, and then you'd be better off than twenty percent. But if for some reason the market ticks up, and then you put on five percent of value, or ten, yeah, five percent of value in the next two years, or um, yeah, eight percent of value, or whatever, then you, you're better off that way. So it yeah. really, really depends. Like you, you, no one can predict the market. No one's got a crystal ball. I mean, they talk about this eighteen-year property cycle, um, <laughs> but waffle to me, man. I'm yeah, what, what, what you believe in, like, everyone believes differently. Like, yeah. there's, uh, there's lots of different arguments about it. But yeah, so. What I would say is that even in those instances, I feel like if, like you said, if you're missing out, if you're potentially missing out on the two years of um, equity growth, in after that two years, if you know that the market's still stagnant, I'd always recommend looking at properties that are below market value where you can add value. 
because that's where you you generate your own equity. That's probably the best way to do it. And I always advise people to, again, if if your if your idea and your your mentality isn't about acquiring equity and acquiring um, wealth per se, um, but just having a comfortable home that you enjoy, you love, and you, you you know you're happy with. Then a lot of these things that what you're you know that you're being told won't really apply to you because you don't really care if you have negative equity because the plan is to stay there anyway. Um, you're not really looking at selling. You're not thinking about selling. So those things aren't really important to you. But if it comes to most people tend to once they own the house they tend to start forward thinking and thinking, is this my forever home? If not, then what's next? And then if you think about what's next, you then need to start thinking about the plans to get to that next level. So again, adding value, if you're not at a place where you want to be and you're comfortable at, that's probably the next four in, in mind once you own the property. Uh, and, cool. there's, and, there's not, and there's lots of ways to do that as well. So obviously adding value isn't only just through home improvements so obviously that's the, the main way people think so they buy something that's really run down they renovate it make it look really really nice and that obviously adds value mm-hmm. obviously the extensions route so adding extensions and adding to the footprint there's loft conversions you can do a loft conversion go up into the other floor add an extra room or something like that mm-hmm. um and there's the, the method that i chose which is um get somewhere where you can get land next to it so buy somewhere where there's like a empty plot of land next to it and the land owned by the council if you manage to buy that land for the count from the council then um the property value is even more mm-hmm. all right cool um so i've got another question um so thomas thomas um d bruce asks what challenges do people face when getting the mortgage so maybe explain some of the challenges in the mortgage process that maybe you both have um experienced or heard of yeah. Do you want to go um, first? I'll, I'll go first. I've got quite a list still. Cause it's, <laughs> it's a lot, bro. There's a lot. So a obviously, lot there's a lot of associated costs with getting a mortgage. There's a lot of associated costs with buying a house. But ultimately, there's a, a couple of things that I always recommend people to do first things first because the most the most important thing is your credit history and your you know your lendability. Um, so I always recommend that a lot of people need to show in the I guess in the build-up to buying a house, you need to show your, your credit worthy. And even if that starts off with, you know, having a credit card that's about 300, 400 pounds a month, and then you after six months it becomes 1,200 pounds, you have to start showing that you're, you're, you're good with money, you're sensible with money, because ultimately on your credit file, that is what will be a bigger determin- a, a determining factor in regards to your mortgage multiplier over time. Um, I know there's certain industries and certain jobs where you could benefit from five to I think seven percent if you work um, in healthcare. I don't I don't know, um, but you you can have certain multipliers. So you want to really maximise your your availability to credit. So yeah, cre- credit cards, loans if possible. Um, again, it's a culture thing because even me, when I first got my credit card, I was shaking. I can't lie. But I got a basic um, Barclay card, um, Freedoms card, um, and it was 300, 400 pounds. I think it was 400 pounds in terms of credit availability. And I was so scared to spend it. I literally was just putting like, buying little things here and there, but I paid it off straight away. But in doing that, you're building up credit um, credit worthiness. Um, and yeah, straight away, it after six months, they increased it. And, and so forth, so on and so forth. Um, so that's the first thing I'd, I'd say. So make enhancing and making sure that you're, you're credit worthy. Um, now, in terms of associated costs with um, buying a property, oh, there's, there's a lot. So you've got 
valuation fee, solicitor's conveyancing fee, um, building insurance, obviously the most important, stamp duty. Um, and that, I think that's payable after 14 days. Mm-hmm. Obviously now, considering if you're going to buy within the next nine months, it's not really going to apply to you. Um, but yeah, the surveyor's fee... And you also need to start thinking about once you buy it, you're not you're not going to be completely happy with the house. So you're going to be thinking about you know the maintenance. You need to be fixing stuff. So you might want to just do a quick lick of paint here and there. That's going to cost you money. Um, then also thinking about like because generally when you do move into a house, you look, you look at the kitchen and bathroom. Those are the first things you look at and think, okay, I want to change that. And that that could cost anywhere from like a three k to ten fifteen. So Buff, you could spend anything. On you could spend Buff. anything on that. So, spend anything you want. Um, so there's a lot of associated costs, but there are certain things that you um, you could um, that again it circumvents that. So when I was talking about credit cards, again that's very important. I, I say you start a couple of years before then, before you buy your house, because the availability to credit is very important. Because once you buy a house, there's going to be a lot of these associated costs. So when it comes to your kitchen, when it comes to um, your bathroom, you could put that all in a credit card. You know, for two years, um, interest free. You can buy it. Um, also, you're able to get um, certain loans. So you get home improvement loans, which are important. You can, um, again, that circumvents um, the amount of money that you're spending on your um, kitchen and bathroom. And it counteracts that cost. So there's a lot of things you can do to, I guess, not, not protect, but also, you know, the availability to credit is very, very important. I think that's the first place to start. Um, but yeah, don't ever forget about these fees because they, they, they come thick and fast. They're disgusting. They're disgusting. But yeah, no, and just to add to that, so yeah, you want to make, so obviously with a mortgage, everyone's thinking, right, I want the bank to give me as much money as possible really so I can have the most amount to spend. Obviously within limits that I can service the payments and stuff comfortably. So, so Mies was just talking about multipliers. So obviously the multipliers will vary bit by bit, but rule of thumb is, if no other factors under 100k, they'll give you 4.5 times. Over 100k, they'll give you five times your your earnings. Usually, and um, mm-hmm. obviously that's affected by so many different things. Now, I just think the most important thing is you want them to give you as much money as possible. So, the, when they do these the checks nowadays, rather than well, I think it was pre 2008, they did the um, just on your gross pay. Now they do this like affordability criteria where. And they look at like the last three months or six months of bank statements, depending on your lender. So one of the key things is right before you're going to apply for your mortgage or you're going to um, go, sort of go for your mortgage, you want to minimize your outgoings as much as possible compared to your earnings. Yeah. And you want to live really frugally for those three months because when they look at those statements, you want them to feel like there's a lot of room there. And the more room that they feel there, the more generous they might be. Yeah. Um, so that the last three to six months, just make sure you've paid off debts, that, or especially the little debts that you, you don't have a problem paying off that are just there, so everything's off. Yeah. Um, and you try and, if you can, like, if you've got other debts, consolidate them. You, I'm not, this is not financial advice, by the way. But just minimise your outgoings as much as possible because they're going to look at all that kind of information. Yeah. The next thing is, get a good broker is worth their weight in gold. Facts. A good broker is worth the weight in gold. A good broker, one, because a lot of these brokers charge ridiculous fees. 
a lot of brokers that you can find will not charge you a fee because they're charging you a fee, but they're getting paid off the mortgage end as well. So that's my broker says they're a, a little bit greedy for that. So he doesn't charge any fees whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll save you between five and a thousand pounds, depending on how much your broker is going to charge. Yeah. And then someone who's a whole market broker who can see everything, who can has access to everything, mm-hmm. um, and someone who's going to really shop around and push you to try and get you the best deal. Um, that's worth their weight in gold. So that's another factor. One, and then making sure you qualify. So you've got, like you say, no credit problems, no um, no massive outstanding loans, nothing that's going to um, disqualify you from uh, getting a mortgage or getting credit. Um, so that's another important thing. Um, what else do I think about? Um, so obviously when you're looking to actually get a property and you start looking around, you start going to agents, make sure your broker sorted you out that mortgage in principle because a lot of the time people will not take you seriously, especially if you're a young person. If yeah. you're walking around looking at a house, they think you can't afford it. They're not going to take you seriously unless you've got your mortgage in principle. If you can bang that paper on your desk saying, look, I've got a mortgage in principle for X amount of money, mm-hmm. then people start to take you seriously and they know that this is within your budget. So before yeah. you go, make sure you've got that because it's really important. That being said, the mortgage in principle isn't a guarantee that you're going to get Bro, yeah. oh god, <laughs> yeah. There's no guarantee because that could again, if you're a seller, that could come back to sting in the ass. Um, yeah, because you know some people make a promise of you know you're being able to get the the 280k mortgage, but ultimately they're only able to get 250k mortgage, and that completely wipes out their affordability and capacity to buy the property. And that's because of the affordability criteria we mentioned before. So exactly. if you're paying £300 a month in some silly loan that you don't really need to, to have there, then you need to get that out of the way and you need to really stretch your affordability. So to make sure you've got lots and lots of room at the end of the month. A million percent. And again, so once they are, they're literally going through your bank statement with like a, a comb to, to see how much you're spending. And they want to see how consistent you are with your expenditure. Because the most thing, the most important thing is for you to get as much money as possible out of this. Um, because again, that increases your options. Um, and again, if you if you can avoid doing silly things and you know, like making sure that your 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 credit cards are not utilized highly, and mm. the amount of money that you're putting towards your credit card and stuff is not high, then again, it, it will have a, a a good impact on your affordability. So that that's very important. Uh, cool. Let's bang up the last two questions. So I got a question. Where is it? Um, Mango lover asks: Is thoughts on buying a house outright if you have the money, or still getting a mortgage and using that money for investment or other things? If you've got, the- <laughs> if you've got the money to buy yards, you don't need to be listening to me. I tell you now. If you've got the capacity to buy yard outright. You don't need to. Be yeah, there. we should be asking you questions, big man. No, no, I, I think maybe that the, the people people are looking at maybe like the lower end of the property market because you know yeah, somewhere it's in the northwest. Yeah, it's true. Give me that person at. I'll talk to them because <laughs> that if you've got the capacity to buy a yard outright, listen, I need to be getting that. Hey, sis, must take me Novikov because she's got to have a bread. Sis, I to sis because really and truly, if you've got the like. For me, I'm we're all about lev- me. My whole, my whole, I guess way of living. I feel like is you need to try and leverage as much as possible. So if you've got the capacity to access credit, I'd do it. I'd, I'd do it. So as much as you could probably afford to buy a house with cash, um, I'd probably still try and get a, a small mortgage just because I could use the extra amount to to put elsewhere. But again, that's just me personally. Um, but at the same time, if you've got the money, that's like, like I said from the beginning, if you've got the money to buy outright, 
Well, if I had money like that, even though I don't, if yeah. I had money like that, but because the interest rates are so low, I, I would get mortgage because interest rates are a record low. It's free money. I, 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 yeah, so I feel like our kids are going to look at us in like 20 years because this is a, just a ridiculous time and be like, what were you doing when they were giving away free money? Yeah. Like, like because... Because yeah, they're going to suffer hard. Of course. So because interest rates are so low, you can just leverage cash so much. So if, you can, if you've got that money, you can leverage so much you will then use that leverage to accumulate so much more wealth for yourself if I had that money, but I don't. So, yeah, that's not really a question for me. Sorry. Okay, yeah, and last, it, and last question um, from Rob on the school, Mush. Shout out um, Rob on his birthday. He asks, fixed or variable rate mortgages in the next few years, what, oh. would, we, we, what, what would be recommended based on where the economy is headed? I, again, not a financial advisor, but yeah. I, I'd honestly go for fixed. Yeah, same. For a sustained period of time because... What's going to come after this COVID? Mazzolini. Uh, look, everyone was thinking that Brexit would have a very, very negative impact on interest rates. But this? Oh, mate. I, I don't want to even imagine it. So, yeah, get fixed for as long as possible. Um, not too long, but again, you you, you want it to a, a relative, at least two to three years. Well, yeah. Two, three years. I can, I can probably give some personal insight on this. So, from my perspective, I, I feel like... So my financial advisor told me, he said, because well, the thing is, interest rates are really low right now. So if you get a tracker mortgage, you can actually get a very good deal if you're willing to take the gamble. But he actually said, this is your life. If this was an investment property, I'd probably tell you to take a variable rate mortgage and a tracker mortgage and then see yeah. how you go. But this is your life. You don't know what's going to happen. So yeah. you want some degree of certainty. But saying that, we got a um, five-year fixed rate. Yeah. But then the situation changed in two years or a year. We had ability to move. So that made it a complete ball ache to move because then you've got to do something called port your mortgage over where you mortgage from one property to another property. So because if you sell your property in a fixed rate period, you Bro, get the penalties. penalties. <laughs> Monster penalties. When, when, I, when I found out how much the penalties were, literally, I nearly... You know when you do swear at someone over the phone? I do spit at my phone. <laughs> I dare you, bro. But oh, it, it's a lot of money. So yeah. um, you've got to think about that as well. So, it, But the benefits of a fixed-rate mortgage, it gives you security. You know exactly how much you're paying for a certain period of time, and then obviously you can always remortgage later. But you might, because in, interest rates are so low, generally you might get a better deal over the long term but then you've got that uncertainty so it's always up to you if you're investing if you're there for your family like everyone's different again this is not financial advice because we are any brothers like literally yeah. just random random dudes honestly all right cool well boys i think that is it for the questions them i think both of you have been elite people there's been a lot of information on here don't feel like Bro, like, take your time, make make a young note, save it, come about, come back again. That's why I do certain podcasts that I find have a lot of information. You can, um, Dr. Lee, he ain't accessible, so I might want to bother giving you his details. But you can hit up at, at Mr. Meads on Twitter. Um, also, member, both guys are members of Touchdown Fracker, so listen to Touchy Gooners. And you can listen to um, um, Lee on that, Lee on that. You can listen to Chessie Hour with Meads on that. Um, you can shout me or Meads online and we'll be happy to um, assist uh, with some information predicated that you do it with some politeness. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> do you know what I mean? You can't be kind of asking for jizz and talking crazy. But yeah, like, I think this is a very important topic. 
Um, remember, we're not financial advisors, especially the lads. They're just giving things from their perspective. And I know they've done literally, probably not even hours worth, probably days, maybe weeks worth of research and just lived experience. So make sure you spread this message out. Boys, thank you. You've both been elite. Um, is, is there anything you guys want to plug that I haven't plugged for you? Uh, no, no. Other than, look, everyone, you have your own race to run. Don't watch other people. Do your thing. Um, and look, it doesn't need it doesn't need to be tomorrow that you buy a house. It could be 10 years. But look, at the end of the day, if it's in your plan and if it's in your mind to do, do it. There's nothing else I really have to add. Um, the only thing I'll say is, look, we are um, any guys who come on our friends' podcast just to talk about our experiences. Our experiences are ours alone. Our opinions are ours alone. <laughs> don't, don't try and come at us for, with some nonsense please because no one's got time for it at the end of the day if you disagree with us fine you've got a different opinion called like just but don't don't come with no nonsense because like, I ain't got no time for it <laughs> yeah it's true what, what I hate is when people disagree with your thingy and it's purely because it makes them feel uncomfortable like there's no rationale behind it like and that's what they're doing to me is that they'll, they'll try to pam him but what is like what, what, what's this based on like based on what like what he said was fine he said yo don't do your thing but it's a sacrifice, but you know what I mean? If you don't want to, if it's not in your budget or da da da, it's fine. Like, do you know what I mean? leave your movie, man, they were crying. But anyway, guys, it's been real. Thanks. And yeah, God bless. In a bit. Sports Social Podcast Network.